There is a Haitian proverb that says, beyond mountains, there are mountains. In one sense, it's an accurate description of the Haitian landscape. In another, it's an accurate description of the obstacles faced by the Haitian people. It's also an appropriate proverb for our text today. If you've been here the past few Sundays, you might be a little confused that we have suddenly jumped from the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, early in Matthew, to his transfiguration in chapter 17. Sorry about that. All I can say is I'm not in charge of the lectionary, and at least we're still on a mountain. If you know your scripture, then you know that God often shows up on mountains, so it's not a bad place to be. If you're a close follower of the lectionary, I'm I'm sure you all are, uh, you will notice that I've extended the reading beyond the story of the transfiguration into the valley below, into the muck and the mess of suffering and failure. But I did that because Jesus says there are mountains there too. Mountains beyond mountains. Listen. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus by himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. When they came to the crowd, a man came to him, knelt before him, and said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Jesus answered, You faithless and perverse generation, how much longer must I be with you? How much longer must I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was cured instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast him out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I tell you, if you have faith 
the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. The word of the Lord. If you've had the chance to ask me how our trip to Haiti was last week, or you found my Facebook page, you probably know that we met Paul Farmer. Now my experience so far is that there are two reactions to this news. Either you have read Tracy Kidder's book about Dr. Farmer called Mountains Beyond Mountains, and you are insanely jealous. Or, like most people, you have no idea who Paul Farmer is or why this would be a highlight of the trip for me. One way to describe Paul Farmer would be to say that he is a very pleasant, balding, middle-aged white man with glasses. That's what you would see if you knew nothing else about him. He looks pretty darn ordinary. This is why one might say, don't bother telling anybody about meeting Paul Farmer until they've read his biography. It would be like telling somebody about the transfiguration who didn't know about Jesus' death and resurrection. If you don't believe that Jesus is both God with us and victor over sin, evil, and death, the transfiguration doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But, if you have read Mountains Beyond Mountains, then you don't just see a middle-aged doctor. You see a man who grew up in a trailer park outside of Tampa, but went on to graduate first from Duke and then Harvard with an MD and a PhD in anthropology. You see a man who could have been just another wealthy Boston doctor, but instead spent much of the last 30 years in the poorest part of Haiti as a doctor and public health visionary, living in a cement and tin house with no hot water and very few possessions. You see a man who used his MacArthur Genius Grant and most of his income from teaching, writing, and practicing medicine to fund Partners in Health, an organization he started in Haiti whose mission is to provide a preferential option for the poor in health care. You see a man who has changed the course of international medicine and saved millions of lives by insisting that poor people can and should be treated for multi-drug-resistant tuberculosis. You see a man who, in the course of any given month, might be lecturing at Harvard, meeting with Bill Clinton, inspecting Russian prisons, co-authoring a book with liberation theologian Gustavo Gutierrez, or hiking six hours of mountainous terrain in Haiti to follow up on a patient who'd missed an appointment. That is the man I saw on our last night in the central plateau of Haiti. Rebecca Langer, our group leader, said I looked like I was about to jump out of my skin. Ask me a few years from now, and I wouldn't put it past me to be talking about the light that seemed to radiate from Paul Farmer as he smiled and shook each of our hands and told us how much he thought of Foncose the microfinance organization we were there to see in action. My response to this 
luminous life in the flesh was not unlike Peter's. I hoped someone was snapping a picture of us. And when I got back to my room, I immediately posted on Facebook and Twitter, I just met Paul Farmer! Exclamation point, exclamation point. I even toyed with the idea of going back into the dining area where he was eating and talking with a group of doctors and just sitting nearby, soaking up his proximity, increasing my chances for another conversation. But I decided that would be a little creepy and weird. So I just did the uh, I just met Paul Farmer dance in my room instead. My reaction wasn't that different from Peter wanting to build three dwellings or booths on the mountain. Whether they were meant for Jesus, Elijah, and Moses to occupy or as monuments to commemorate the experience, they were clearly his attempt to capture the moment, to stretch it out, to make it feel less fleeting. But that didn't seem to be God's intention for Peter's mountaintop experience. Before he can even finish his sentence, a bright cloud says, Quit your yammering and listen to Jesus. Don't build him a monument. Do what he says. I have a feeling God might say the same thing to me about Paul Farmer. Don't post a picture of him on Facebook. Do what he does. Spend your time, energy, and money trying to make the world a better place for the most vulnerable. Do what he does and what Jesus did and try to live as though every life mattered equally. Which, of course, takes us down the mountain. For Peter, James, and John, down the mountain meant confronting right away the frustration and helplessness of a father whose son is suffering terribly, and the frustration of their fellow disciples who seem unable to replicate Jesus' healing power. I imagine many of us can identify with both the father and the disciples. Anyone who has watched a loved one succumb to cancer or relapse into addiction, knows the helpless rage of that father. Anyone who has witnessed parents going through a nasty divorce, or a child starve herself into the hospital, knows what it is like to live at the bottom of the mountain. Frankly, anyone who has been a pastor, or a teacher, a social worker, a doctor, a parent, Anyone who has tried to help someone and failed knows how those disciples must have felt, helpless and inadequate. You don't have to try very hard in Haiti to find yourself at the base of a mountain. You don't have to know very much about Haiti's history, recent or otherwise, to find yourself shaking your head at how many have tried to help the Haitian people and failed. From foreign governments, including ours, to Christian missionaries and NGOs, to Haitians themselves, attempts to help have ranged from ineffectual to downright toxic. It would be easy to look at that history and assume that organizations like Partners in Health and Fonco Jose 
would be more of the same. But come with me down to the place where our delegation began our Haiti trip, at the bottom of Fon staircase out of poverty, literally on the side of a mountain, but figuratively at the bottom, was Denise Marie, mother of four children, ages 22, 20, 15, and 10. Denise's 15-year-old daughter was living with another family as what is in called, called in Creole a restivec. The term literally means stay with, and that's what the children do with their host families, working as domestic servants in exchange for leftover food, a roof over their head, and hopefully school. Unfortunately, these children are also easy prey for abuse and exploitation. Her 10-year-old still lived with his mother in the hut, made of mud and sticks, just a few feet down the side of the mountain from the road. Not only was their hut likely to wash away completely when the rainy heat season hits in April, it was also susceptible to anything flying down from the road above, from litter to wrecked vehicles. When Fancose found this family, neither of the children were in school. Denise Marie was ill, and the family was struggling to eat. According to Denise, their misfortune began 10 years earlier when she was forced to spend several weeks in the hospital with her two-month-old. When she returned, her husband was gone, and for 10 years, in spite of constant prayers, there seemed to be no cure in sight. But then one day, she had a dream. In her dream, a man with shining white hair carrying bags of cement came to her and said, Don't be afraid. Help is on the way. Not long after, a Fancose representative showed up to interview her. If I hadn't already believed in God, she said, I would now. It turns out that God doesn't just show up on the top of high mountains. He's down in their shadow, too. And sometimes he looks a lot like a Fancose case manager. Now that Fancose has taken Denise Marie on as a member of CLM, which means Pathway to a Better Life, Denise has been given a filter so that she can have access to clean water. She's been given a Partners in Health card and a checkup so she can count on access to their medical services. She will soon be receiving a few bags of cement and 12 pieces of tin so she can construct a home that won't wash away in April. She's been given a small stipend for food and a chicken and some baby chicks to help her start on the path to self-sufficiency. Both her children have been enrolled in the local school, and as soon as she can get the house up, she will get her daughter back. In the meantime, she's putting out water for the chickens, tending some flowers in a bucket, and learning to write her name, Denise Marie, a human being. It's easy to look at a place like Haiti, or really anywhere, the related problems of poverty, injustice, and disease cast their deadly shadows decade after decade and throw up our hands in despair. 
And when we are tempted to do that, Jesus says to us, Truly I tell you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to that mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. Haiti may have its share of mountains, mountains beyond mountains, but the metaphorical ones, the mountains of poverty, disease, and deforestation, with the help of God, can be moved. Saints like Paul Farmer and organizations like Partners in Health and Foncose make it easier for me to believe that just a little bit of faith really can make a difference. Partners in Health began with a recent college graduate with $1,000 in his pocket who moved to Haiti to volunteer. Paul Farmer's $1,000 eventually became a hospital called Zami La Santé and a community health program in Haiti's poorest region. Now, Zami La Santé is the largest non-governmental health care provider in Haiti, serving an area of 1.3 million people and providing jobs to 5,400 Haitians. And we got to tour their newest facility, a state-of-the-art teaching hospital in Mirabelay. Now, Partners in Health is not just in Haiti, but supports projects all over the world, from Peru to Rwanda to Russia. Fancose started by a Haitian priest named Father Joseph and three volunteers working in a borrowed building. And today, it's a globally recognized institution with 46 branches covering every area of Haiti, providing financial and development services to more than 60,000 microfinance borrowers. From Denise Marie's Mud Hut to the T. Credi and Solidarity Groups, to the tilapia farm owned by a collective of 50 Haitian women, we saw how the mountains in Haiti get moved, step by faithful step. Now, Riverside is in the process of partnering with Fancose to build its own staircase into partnership. We aren't sure yet what it will look like, but it will probably include periodic insight trips to Haiti, like the one we took, it will include regular opportunities to donate through the church's budget, through the alternative gift fair, and through creative fundraising opportunities that we have yet to dream up. It may include supporting Fancose in their application for grants from the Presbyterian women. It may include partnering with a school started by Fancose's founder, or a youth trip to help with the CLM summer camps. As we experiment with education, fundraising, advocacy, and creating a personal connection, we will help Fancose develop a process and resources for other partnering congregations to use. The hope of those of us who just got back from the land of mountains beyond mountains is that lots of people in this congregation, not just the Global Outreach Committee, will want to join us in this budding partnership with Fancose. In fact, we have faith that you will. It's at least the size of a mustard seed.